Please can we bow our heads in prayer? Precious Father, we give you thanks and praise. Thank you for this new day. Thank you for the purpose in bringing us into it. We are here for you. And we have come to meet you. Lord, as you invited your disciples to be with you, that you may make them fishers of men. Grant that this meeting, that making process, we both start and continue so that our living here, we would have been equipped to truly become fishers of men. Walk in us through your spirit. Release your word. Shape us and make us into that which you want us to be. That your church may become alive again. That your church may truly become the salt of the world. It's our prayer through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I welcome you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And I'm also welcoming our friends and members who are not here physically but following us online. This morning, we, as we promised yesterday, we will be looking at what we need to do in this journey of discipleship. For yesterday we made attempt to show the need for discipleship in today's church. And as we thank God for giving you this vision of setting aside this weekend to look at this issue of discipleship. And I pray that this program will both open our eyes and wake us up from any area we have been sleeping, equip us and help us to become true disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be taking a teaching section and we've titled that Be One, Make One. Be One, Make One. At intervals, We'll be raising some questions that I would want us to answer in small groups. And then we will continue. Our text remains the text for the program Matthew 28, 
First of all, we want to look at what is disciple making? What disciple making is all about? We know that before we go on a long journey, remember yesterday when I was leaving the house, I reminded my wife that she promised to join me today because we couldn't come together yesterday for a program that she'll be having this morning. So when I was leaving, I reminded her that she promised to join me today. And so it is to most of us when we are going for a long journey the last thing we say to our family is our most important matter. We sometimes may say I love you. Or don't forget to do an assignment or the other. But also in our culture, most of us don't take lightly the last words of our parents, especially for those whose parents are dead. Some cry when their parents die. Not because they don't know they will die. Or not because of the pain of losing a loved one. But sometimes you hear them say, he didn't even say a word before he passed on. Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, told his disciples the most important thing they were to do until he returned. And that is make disciples. That's the most important. His last word. His command is not just to those disciples, but to those who will follow the teachings of his disciples. And that's where we are coming in. So this command is also to us. He had commanded us to make disciples of all nations with the aim of seeing every person from every culture in this world to come to know and to follow him. Know these two things. To know him and to follow him. They are two different things. Jesus explained how they were to fulfill this commission by focusing on two important things. They will fulfill this commission by focusing on two important things. So in our text, there are two major areas 
Number one is the proclamation of the gospel. Proclamation. Yesterday, when we were discussing, we somehow touched that point of saying that most of our churches are very committed to the proclamation, to evangelization. You remember in the Anglican church, there was a decade in the entire world dedicated to evangelism. The decade of evangelism. This is proclamation. So that people would believe in the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus. Be baptized and confirmed to be part of the body of Christ. This is proclamation. We proclaim Christ encouraging people to believe in his death and resurrection as the only condition for the forgiveness of sin and becoming children of God. Baptism, confirmation, and enrollment into the body of Christ is part of this proclamation. This is one aspect. Number two is the spiritual maturity. Those that believed should be made to grow in faith by teaching them to follow all that Jesus had commanded them. Teaching them all that Jesus had commanded them to do. So when we proclaim, people join, people believe, people accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. People are born again. If we stop there, we've not fulfilled the commission. We've not done what he asked us to do. So we need to go further by teaching them to obey or to follow all that Jesus commanded them to do. But what type of teaching was Jesus talking about? Many times we've organized so many teachings and so many teaching programs. In fact, most of our programs, we have serious teaching sections. If you read Acts of Apostles chapter 2, let's read that verse 41 to 47. Let's open our Bible. Acts chapter 2, 41 to 47. Seven. Acts 2.41 Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Verse 7. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. 
Thank you very much. You can see the Bible talked about they followed the teachings of the apostles. And the teaching of the apostles here, we see that their teaching was not just preaching. Giving instruction on what must be done and what should not be done. They shared their lives together. They shared their lives together. They ate together. They worshipped together. And spent time together also. Through relationship, they would influence others and be an example of what following Christ looks like. This process of disciple making was to continue until Christ was fully formed in the new disciples. This is what Jesus meant by teaching them. So, teaching in the sense that Jesus communicated it was not just as you are sitting here listening to me, I am saying some things you, you don't know before. That's not actually what Jesus meant. Teaching must include staying together, eating together, worshipping together, so that the new believers will have the opportunity of seeing mature ones modeling what following Christ is like. So, today, we have what I may call, or we have created something like isolation centers in the church. We've, we've learned how to isolate ourselves. Yesterday, I was giving example from our structure in worship. That is not to say that there is actually some, anything wrong with having altar and altar rail and procession. No. I was saying that to give us a picture that that might have contributed to how we relate now. We are leaders and mature members of the church are very far away from those that supposed to be following them and learning from them. And yes, I also remember that I was sharing with you that when we started doing this thing, the little we've, we've done with just two meetings, the little we have done, I, I have, I'm beginning to see the impact. The impact that can be made with this little thing is more than what I have seen over years. By the grace of God, I have been bishop for 13 years now. And so what I'm saying is that this little, when the Lord begins to open my eyes in this matter of the commission that Jesus gave us, we proclaim and then we teach, especially in this teaching aspect. When the Lord opened my eyes, what I am now beginning to do and apply, the impact, the impact in my immediate constituency is greater than what I have experienced 
in the past 13 years. Let me be specific. I, I told you that the level we are now is discipling the archdeacons. And I said, before I started with all of them, I've earlier called four of them. The four, we are just to help me. I call them co-trainers. So first of all, I made effort to impart them so that when we come together, they will now help me. I met with them for a year, four meetings. But it didn't just end in meeting, in the retreat. The retreat gave us opportunity to know one another. We went to a village. And there in the village, we were eating on the same table. We were sharing lives. We opened our hearts. I was telling them, not just my, of my strengths, but also of my weaknesses. was sharing it with them. Look at the areas I am struggling with. Look at what is difficult for me to do as a Christian. Look at the challenges I am facing. And they themselves started opening up. We got to know ourselves. And we started encouraging ourselves. Before you know it, people around them have started saying, it's not the same people I know that I am seeing now. And like I told you, it is not a matter of becoming born again or when I have repented. For instance, one of the Archdeacons, one of the four Archdeacons, was the effort coordinator of our zone for years. You may know him, Venerable God is it. He was one of the four. In our last ordination in December, I asked four of them to lead the ordination retreat and also to apply this principle. So when I went to see the ordinance, I asked them to share the experience within the, the retreat. One of them said that he's seeing a different person. Let me be specific so that you will know that I'm not just saying something. He said, I am seeing a different goddess. Remember, he had been a believer, a serious evangelist, preacher, and archdeacon. Not necessarily that he's committing big sins. But this man within four days of retreat saw something different in a man that had been known as a strong believer. Sharing life together. That's where we seem not to be getting it. Some of us leaders, the young ones you want to grow, none have been given opportunity to come close to you. You teach them do quiet time. Have they seen anybody done it? So, this is teaching. You may call it teaching by lifestyle. 
So this is what Jesus meant when he said, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Sometimes, some people interpret teaching them to obey to mean commanding them. And that's why sometimes you see rules in the church. And most of the time, those rules don't work. Then for instance, I remember when we have these rules, if you are engaged to a sister, or before you engage to a sister, you first of all don't talk to her. Come to the leaders of the fellowship. Let the leader invite her and talk to her first. And then after you've agreed, make sure whenever you want to meet, go to a sister's house or go to an elder's house. Meet there and discuss what you, you want to. Because any day we see two of you discussing, then we will not be part of your marriage again. Have you heard of such a rules? We've been giving those rules. But what is the result? We don't see what we intended to see from them. They don't give us what we desired. They don't. There's some other rules. You must dress like this. You must not put on this. You must put on that. We've given those rules. We think people are following. Yes. Somebody may dress like that. But he doesn't understand why he's resting in that way. In the first place, he doesn't understand. If you ask him, you say, our leader just said that. That is not teaching. Jesus didn't mean to command by giving rules. He meant that this life should be transferred from you. If a young believer sees how you pray and begin to pray that way, you know, Paul would say, follow me or imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is the summary of the teaching. These things that I do. And then, you remember at the time we started talking about preachers who said, follow what I teach and don't follow what I do. Yes, this is where we are. Because people are so clever that They've learned so many things and can stand up with it and teach people so many things which they don't do. And those things don't impact anybody. It doesn't. I said yesterday, it is only the heart that can touch the heart. You don't touch the heart with the head. We have so many things on our heads and we would want the heart of people to change from what you have from your head. No! They cannot. So the apostles sat with these people. They followed them day and night. Just imagine. Even though we blame Ananias, he sold his property and kept part of the money. But how many of us can even do that? What Ananias did? Not up to. Not many of us can do that. He did much. Do you know what it means for somebody to sell his plot of land? Do you know that Omona can have an emergency meeting on that. To know whether you are sane. You sell your property to give the church. If you look at that thing, nobody told him to sell anything. It was influence. Somebody like, like Barnabas brought his money. This man said, ah, 
What should I do? What should I give to this church? I have only land. Let's sell it. Nobody told him. I, I, I am beginning to see that the much effort and time given to asking people to raise funds in the church is as a result of failure of discipleship. When people are properly discipled, they hear God directly and know what to do at the right time. So teaching them to obey it's not just insisting you must do this, you must do that, you must do that. No! They want to see how it is done. Second Timothy 2 2. Let's read it. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. You have heard you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Thank you very much. The apostle Paul was speaking. To his son, Timothy. The son he discipled. He said to him, you have heard from me. So, he, he, was, he wasn't saying a strange thing. This thing I'm saying, you've experienced it. Not only that you have heard it. This was what changed your life. This was what brought you to where you are now. So, the same thing that I've done in your life. Do it in others. This is discipleship. So, the commission is not just to end in asking people to give their life to Jesus. In fact, I'm beginning to feel ashamed. So many people that are brought along the way and abandoned them. Because I remember each time I preach, I emphasize, give your life to Jesus. And sometimes, like a big program like this, people will come out and write their names. And we submit names to somebody. I said, please be calling them. Or you'll be coming. Or we say, tomorrow, all those that have answered altar call, come in the afternoon by four before the program starts. Somebody will see you. Possibly out of 100 people, 20 will come. And we just be satisfied with the 20. And even blame the 80 that didn't come. Without remembering that the 80 may not even understand what they've done. We don't do, we don't make much effort in teaching them. That's why I was saying that yesterday, I was saying yesterday that the sponsorship in baptism, I think what it should be is that the priest is the one to assign sponsors. Not parents. I'm just thinking that way. So in the same way, it's not enough to preach and cause people to repent or people repent under your preaching. As I've given my life to Jesus, they must be picked from that moment. We read from Acts of Apostles, about 3,000 believed and followed and daily they followed the Apostles' teaching. How did it happen? How did it happen? The Apostles, we are intentional in making sure that the 3,000 
must be connected to their lives. And they started imparting them. You know, what I've even discovered that, do you know that some of us, or many of us, many of us, even within family, within family, a husband may be growing seriously in the Lord, but he has no spiritual impact on the wife. No spiritual impact on the wife. Because though they are living in the same house and the same room, the same room, they don't quarrel or they are believers. But the man is not impacting the woman because there's a dividing wall between their hearts. I don't know whether you're getting what I'm saying. A dividing wall. They discuss, but not sincerely. What do I mean by being sincere in discussion? Many of us have learned how to project our good sides and cover up our weaknesses. I discovered that the best way to impact somebody is to tell him not how strong you are, but how weak you are. And the grace of God that is keeping you. You know, those of us that are preachers, it's when God started to open my eyes in this, that I saw the errors I've made. I think that when you are preaching, you just tell people how wonderful you have been, the good things you have been doing. I didn't know what will impact people more is to tell them how weak you are. So, even between husband and wife, the man may be projecting himself as wonderful. As wonderful. Look at this story that I had. Say that there was a man, he's a clergyman, who was asked to pray in a meeting. His children were there in that meeting. The man took the microphone and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And the children were touching themselves. Is it daddy that is praying like this? And they will be laughing. Is it daddy? Why did they say that? Daddy don't pray in the house. They know. The children know. Daddy doesn't pray much in the house. But when he takes microphone in the public... And tell me what impact such a man will make in his children. So, Apostle Paul urges his own disciple, his own disciple, Timothy, to invest in his investment in the spiritual development of other men who would in turn be able to make disciples of others. This continuous multiplication, multiplication process is the means by which the gospel will reach all the nations of, and all people and generation. If we think that it is only carrying crusade to different communities, that is good. It has its 
own advantage and 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 um, uh, fruits that it bear. But the best way is when I disciple one, one disciple another. It spreads. So that in your office, you don't need to invite the priest to pray for you and speak to your colleagues so that they will repent. It is you that have been sent there to disciple them. That is your nation. Your office. Because if those who work with you in the office know that you are not a serious Christian, even when you bring your priest to preach, the priest will preach. You say, this priest, you, you are wonderful. Your message is so wonderful. It's so wonderful. Wonderful. How I wish that every Christian would be doing like this. That would be their comment. And they are referring to their colleague who actually invited the priest, but they didn't see what the preacher said in the life of their colleague. So this is the means of evangelizing the world. What does it mean to make disciples? What does it mean? Christian disciple making. Remember, we are talking about Christian discipleship. Because you can have disciples in everything. Christian disciple making is an intentional relationship. We are by a believer helps a non-believer to trust in Christ and then to grow progressively from spiritual infancy towards maturity, eventually repeating the process with others. These are a definition of discipleship. A more mature believer helps a younger believer in growing to spiritual maturity so that when he matures, he will now pick up other disciples. So from this understanding, effective disciple making has these parts. I've said, said this yesterday, but let me take them all over again. Discipleship must, must have this aspect. One is that we have personal responsibility in making disciples. You don't just begin to pray that your child will be a Christian when you've not made any effort to disciple your child. Or that any member of the church or sometimes we, sometimes we complain that these young boys or young people in the church they don't want to follow Jesus. I'll just be citing I remember in our own days how we were committed. How we were sacrificing so many things. Yes, you did it. Why, why couldn't you or, or, or why can't you make effort to transfer that thing that is in your life to another person? So discipleship must take personal responsibility. Because we said it cannot happen automatically. Because you know uh, you go to church or, um, or, or, um, or, or, or that 
you attend conferences. It can't happen like that. Somebody must take the personal responsibility to help someone also to trust and grow in Christ. And so as leaders, the question will be, who are you discipling? Who are you discipling now? Number two, we said it, discipleship is lifelong. There's no graduate. You don't graduate from it. And so even when we say discipleship is mature people discipling younger ones, even the mature one is also undergoing discipleship. Somebody explain discipleship in this way, that it represents the journey of the Israelites from the day they left Egypt to the day they landed in the promised land. So all those years we are a representation of 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 discipleship. From the day they left Egypt, it was discipleship process till they landed in the promised land. So until we get to heaven, your discipleship continues. No matter your position, no matter your age, no matter your experience, you are still a disciple. Praise God. Number three, it must be biblical. I'm repeating what I said yesterday, but possibly for those who are not here. Disciples grow in maturity as they are trained to understand, to believe, and to obey the truths of the Bible. To understand, to believe, and to obey the truths of the scripture. That is discipleship summarized. Teaching people to understand, to believe, and to obey the truths of the scripture. Not philosophies of men. Not the words of the senior apostle. Not the words of the reigning prophet. It is believing, understanding, believing, and obeying the truths of the scripture. Discipleship is not about following another person. But rather, discovering Christ as revealed in the Bible and learning to follow Christ. Not following men. You only follow men because they are following Christ. You don't follow men. We seem to be doing well today in asking people to follow us. We want followers. We want followers. In fact, in some places, in some churches, where you have two, three clergymen, the major problem is, is war for followership. And even when some people do what they do in the church, with the term as good deeds, they are all deeds in effort to, to bring people to follow them. Popularity. That's not discipleship. So many people may f- be following you, but you are not discipling them. Discipleship goes on through relationship. We said it is relational. It goes on through relationship. The discipleship journey is challenging. Challenging. No matter your age, no matter your destiny, you see challenges of life and you need somebody either to pray for you 
or to share the burden with or to receive encouragement from. Every day, when you pass this one, you will face another one. We were discussing in a meeting, <laughs> in a meeting, we were discussing family issues on, under this discipleship. And the younger ones, we are saying the challenges they are having with their wives. I mean Christians, the challenges they are having. The issue of, um, uh, this issue of when one will face the other, the other will withdraw. Or keep quiet. <laughs> so we are sharing this. And one elderly man with his wife there, their children almost married. Almost all of them. He shared his own. And the younger one said, eh? So at your age you are still experiencing this. He said they were thinking that when they come, that this thing is just because they are beginning. That a time will come they will, when they will overgrow it. And the man said you don't overgrow it. So you are married newly as a Christian and you think the little challenges you are having is just because you are beginning. That a time will come when you don't have it. No! These challenges will be coming. Will be coming. Either from evil in the world or from Satan or from your failures. So you need somebody by your side to share your life with. That's the need for relationship. Then discipleship is life changing, transformational. Transformational. The goal of every disciple is to become changed. If that is not your goal, then you are not a disciple. The goal of every disciple must be to be changed, to be transformed more and more like Jesus. Becoming like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. When that becomes your desire, then you know you've started the journey of discipleship. I want to be like Jesus. You always praying, you always desiring, you always walking towards becoming like Jesus in word, in character. That is the aim. Discipleship is not measured by participation in programs or simply wearing the name of Jesus. Like we have in those days, there's uh, some uh, pinon that we used to buy that time. I believe in Jesus. I am for Jesus. I love Jesus. <laughs> we like putting it That you put it on doesn't make you a disciple. Or that you attend program. Some of us also think he's attending program. From one program to the other you attend, every conference you, you attend. Some other people think it is listening to messages of great men. Every time on your phone, you are listening to a message. That is wonderful. But until your aim comes to the point of, I want to be like Jesus. You are not a disciple. When your life is not changing, if what you have been two months ago, you are the same today, you need to ask yourself a question. Changing until we become like Jesus. And we said earlier, your effort should not be to become like a popular man of God. 
To pray as he prays. To preach as he preaches. Or other things. Jesus is our standard. Praise God. Discipleship moves from one person to the next. Disciple making does not end with one disciple. Nor does it depend only on the ministry of the pastor or few church leaders. Mm-mm. It doesn't depend on the ministry of one person. Where you will now say, I will now disciple everybody. As I was sharing with you, what we have started doing in the Suka Diocese, it is not in any way to say that I will disciple the entire diocese. I told you I started with four. The four people I started with, the Archdeacons, we divided ourselves into, into these four people. They, they have their small, small group that they are working with. Again, each person is meant to go back to his own church and start with a smaller people. And so it will spread. And so this issue of, you know, sometimes uh, when, when a priest is transferred from a church, sometimes the church will go and protest. Some other time the church will, will, will write later. Say, if this, if this man is removed, we will leave this church. He should, he should be allowed to be here. It is this man that brought revival in this place. That's wonderful. But to me, I see that as a failure in discipleship. When we begin to disciple people, the priest that is in charge of the church won't make much difference. Because within a church of 200 people, there there must be at least 20 very mature elders that already guiding other people, following them. And so the priest is coordinating these activities. But this time, a priest will come to church, he will handle the, the Friday night vigil, early morning prayers. On Sunday, he will lead in the Bible study. And even when another person is leading, he must summarize. And during the service, during the accessory prayer, he leads in the prayer. And when another person is asked to lead, he must also summarize and release some words of prophecies. And any day he fails to do that, some will even ask him, Are you okay? You know why I'm coming to church is because of that prophetic declaration. That's where we are now. It's a failure of discipleship. Discipleship in every sphere of life. Every sphere of life. Disciple making first begins in one personal life. One. Our own personal life. Then extend to our families. And the communities in which we live and work. So there are. Discipleship move in this way. It starts with an individual. That's why our topic is be one. Make one. It starts with an individual. That individual, his discipleship must first get to his family. Then, moves to his closest uh, community, or what I may call his constituency. 
to the church and the entire community. So what it means is that now assuming I now I assume that that eighty percent of you are working in this institution. What it means is that if you are disciples, God has given you the entire community here to become disciples through you. All of them. There shouldn't be anyone escaping. Because as I'm working from my own department, you're also working from your own department. The same message. This one no longer join our church. It's beyond that. It's become like Jesus. So that is the root of discipleship. Then, we look at another thing. What discipleship is not? What discipleship is not? I also highlighted that yesterday. I'm mindful that some people were not here yesterday. And because it will help us in our discussion this morning. What discipleship is not? There are seven areas that we need to readjust in our understanding about discipleship. Seven areas. One, is it a new program within the church? This discipleship, now that I'm talking about it in this way, I told you yesterday, if you, if you Google uh, or, 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 or listen to what church leaders globally are saying, it seems that everybody is talking about this discipleship. I've also told you that Church of Nigeria has adopted a program that every member of the church should be discipled. Very serious. And I've told you, seven bishops are working on this. Working on it, in not, not in the sense of preparing how to go and disciple people. They are starting from they themselves, ensuring that they are disciples. So, is it a new program? No. It is a renewed initiative of moving with the pursuit of coming back to the word of God and prayer once again to multiply devoted disciple makers within the church. It's not a new program. It's not a new program. Is it for new beginners? Discipleship. Is it for new beginners? Yes and no. Yes, because we need to intentionally disciple the new converts into their new faith in Christ Jesus. This is not an easy task. For all the clergy and the lay leaders, for it requires time, talent and treasure. It's not easy because like what we are saying, which I, I would emphasize in, is that it is not come to Bible study. It is not meeting every Monday. No, it's beyond that. It is relationship. It is like asking somebody, I am adopting you as a son or a, a, a daughter. I think that is what will give us 
a good picture. Wherein you adopt people. Even though they may not live with you, but it will be as if they are living with you. So it's not easy. It will take your talent, it will take your treasure, it will take your time. No, because even if we lived in the house of the Lord for the last 50 years, we still grow. We are still growing. Just like plants. We are taught that the growth of plant, how do you say it? Is continuous. So we are like plant. Spiritually, we continuously grow. We grow being a disciple and making disciples. It is a daily work to make sure we grow toward Christ-likeness. Therefore, we need to be one and make one. Is it a cost to write? No. It is not only. It is a life on life investment. Life on life investment. A mentoring relationship involved followed up by daily work with the Lord. Is it a training to go through so that um, when I shared uh, my testimony during the come because uh, I was asked to share the testimony part of what I told you yesterday some people were calling me and said, Bishop, where can I join the training? So it's not a training to go through. It's not a course. Some other people were asking me, can you send me the documents? I said, it's not documents. I can send you the documents. But here that is not discipleship. It is about one that has been discipled. Influencing you through relationship. Closely relationship. So it's not a training to go through. It is not a curriculum to finish and graduate. I give you a document. Uh, uh, I know after this, some people may be asking me, can you give me a hard copy of this or send me a soft copy? I can send you, but until this thing is applied, when you have somebody, I mean, because why it is daily work and relationship is that as you face the challenges of life, you discuss it. You share life together. There's that, that opportunity of knowing from practical experience how you can face this matter. And it's not uh, 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 just receiving instruction for somebody where we'll be telling you this is what you must do in this situation. When they ask you to do this, don't do it. That, that's not the thing. It is bringing you to a level of relating with the Lord himself so that you will know how to take your decision based on what the scripture is saying and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Another one is, can I be ordained after completion of the, <laughs> the discipleship program? It's not for the nation. It's for every believer. It's not for ordination. Disciple making is a whole life process. We are not like pipes. 
which simply transfer water to others without being changed ourselves. Instead, we must be like trees planted by streams, drawing from living water into our roots, growing in stature and strength, spreading out branches and bearing fruit. We are not pipes. We are trees. We bear fruit in our lives and the lives of others. Others pluck our fruit and eat and enjoy and grow themselves. We must also begin a fresh journey of growing deeper in our work with the, with the Lord and intentionally making disciples of others. When when disciple making becomes the priority of our lives and the key strategy of the church, then we will bring glory to Christ and impact our communities, the, con the continent and the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this issue of um, the rise of idolatry now in our communities, I don't know whether you are noticing it. In the entire Igbo land, there is a very strong wave of rise of idolatry. In every community. At a very high level. What we thought have not been happening. Is happening now. Four days ago. I had a story. That a young boy. A young boy. Very handsome. He showed me the picture. That this boy. Was a member of our church. And the parents are still members of the church. He was living in Osaka town, but he's from a, a village in Enugueske. He said that one evening, the boy said that he's going home. That the spirit of one of the idols in the community is, in, is calling him. He said that going home. I was even told that he was asked to use bike. He said he will track it. And he threatened from Osuka to Enugueski. And got into a bush for 30 days initiation with the spirit. Currently happening now. 30 days because the idol in question, they said the priest died long ago and since then they have not had any priest. And the process is that the priests will go into that forest state of for 30 days. No eating, no communication with any human being. Do you see spiritual discipleship? 30 days initiation. The boy went into the bush. They said he had been there for weeks now. Why am I saying this? The reason for the rise of idolatry is our failure in discipleship. The parents are members of the church. The boy was baptized and had sponsors. He had sponsors. He was not discipled. He was in the church. But was not discipled. And so the devil had the opportunity to pick him. And now after this initiation, tell me what this boy will be. A young boy. Idolatry we are taking, we've overcome, we've defeated. We rise up again. And 
that's why we see some some wealthy men coming from abroad sponsoring idolatry and mass spirit in our villages. And you said this boy was our member. He was our member. But he was not discipled. He don't have root in the Lord. You need to open my eyes that when we come to church like this, I said, out of these 200 members worshipping here, it may only be five that have this desire of becoming like Jesus. Watch our prayers today. Our prayers is full of what God will do for me. Watch our testimonies today in our fellowships. I was just thinking about this thing a few days ago. I said, this issue of people coming to testimony, who come to share testimony, and they will, ask, they will be asked to see somebody for screening. When did this start? Brethren, when did this start? It was not so. It was not so. It started because people come out to share things that will not edify. And we now scream people before they come out to testify. That's a sign. That's a sign. And you know what people share now as testimony. And I thank God I've been praying for visa. Just yesterday night, I got my visa to UK. Praise God. He won't tell us the process of even getting the visa. Process he followed. Another one we said, thank God for me. My last child just graduated. I now have five graduates in the house. And we said, I prayed and asked God, as, 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 as my parents were not able to train me, all my children must be graduated. And now God has answered my prayer. Wonderful. The five graduates, you giving the testimony you are a Christian, how sure are you they are Christians? Then let, let's discuss this question. I want us to just, you will arrange yourself five, five. You can move from where you are. Please, the ushers, can you help us? Five, five people, just as they are sitting together, just arrange your seat. Five, five, five. Where you sit, the questions will be projected. They are there already on the screen. And you, you look at the questions. Answer for yourself. Answer, just sincere answer. Just share, share sincerely within five of you. I just arrange your seat. I'm giving us um, ten minutes. Discuss the question. You are not coming here to share or to tell us what you answered. The questions are for you. The first question, just look at the question on the screen. You can copy it. You can copy the question for, so that you don't turn your... Is your spiritual life more like a pipe or a plant? You remember we said it. Is it a pipe or plant? Your own personal one. Not, don't talk about any other person. 
you. Share it. From the seven characteristics of disciple making, which one is strongest and weakest in your life? We talked about transformational. It is biblical. It is um, missional. It is... Um, you remember them? Or do I go through them again? Seven areas of discipleship or characteristics of disciple making. It is intentional. Intentional. Lifelong. Biblical. Relational. Transformational. Missional. And reproducible. That's the seven. So from that seven, which one is strong in your life and which one is weak? Number three question is, what is one thing you can do to strengthen disciple making in your own life, family or local church? What you can do to strengthen it? So discuss within yourself. Speak to yourself sincerely. Answer the questions. Just appoint somebody to lead in the discussion. And you don't need a rapporteur. You don't need a rapporteur. Just appoint somebody to direct or guide in the discussion. If possible, let everybody contribute to each of the questions. May God guide you in Jesus' name. You can go. was it? How was it? <laughs> Did they discover anything? No time. No time. <laughs> Any new discovery? Thank you very much. Please can you come back to your seats? Let's continue our teaching. God bless you. Just end there. You, you have the question. And those questions are personal questions. 
So you can go home and uh, work on it. They are personal questions. All of them personal. But we are just sharing it so that um, to build openness. Would anybody want to share anything with us from this discussion? Anybody? Would anybody want to share anything? Eh? Possibly the answer you you gave or what came out strongly in your discussion. Anyone? Yes, ma'am. Hallelujah. Uh, if I said I should rate myself. Probably before I came to this meeting, I thought I was there. Or it just told me that uh, I have not started in some areas which I really need to work upon. Mm. Praise the Lord. Thank you, ma'am. So you've, you've taken some decision on one thing you can do to strengthen that in your life. That's wonderful. God bless you. Yes, ma'am. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The first question I answered I am a pipe. Mm. Because I noticed that the people I even invited for this program did not come. I didn't follow it up. I didn't even call them to know why they did not come. What in my mind I said I've invited them, I've given them the flyer. They should come. If they don't want to come, it's their business. That was my first where I placed myself in number one question. Number two question. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. It's tough because of time. Number two. Let me tell you where I belong in number two. That, the, the number two. Missionaries was my weak, weak, weakest one. Mm-hmm. It's the weakest one. Just like last Sunday, we, had, we did word evangelism. And that word evangelism, merely the, uh, we were talking about word evangelism, I canceled it in my heart. Mm. Because they say, COVID patients fully in COVID patients fully in mm. I said, if I'm to go to the world and pray and lay hands on a COVID patient, mm. by the time I get home, I will become a COVID patient. Mm. That was why I canceled As they were talking in my heart, I, I was canceling it. Mm. I said, God, don't allow me to go because I don't want to become a COVID patient. Thank you, man. <laughs> Thank you for being sincere. And mommy, you are not, you are, you are not there alone. You are not there alone. You know, yesterday I was telling you when I shared that I gave my life to Jesus 33 years ago. Why I shared that testimony is because of my discovery that I have been a pipe. Pipe. Because I was, I had this understanding that God because of what I do. I was thinking God is more interested in what I do than whom I am. But this thing opened my eyes to know that God is interested in whom I am and what I do. The pipe pushed the water across to other people. They connect it. The pipe is working actually. But nothing happens to the pipe. In fact, what may happen to the pipe is uh, some 
drops of uh, death, dust. So I was there also, mommy. Was passing, you teach, great things happen. You don't see much transformation in your life. But God wants us to be trees. Trees. People eat your fruit. You grow. You grow. Produce fruit. People eat. You are life. You are life. May God help us in Jesus' name. Thank you. We are continuing. Who is a disciple? Matthew chapter 4. Let's read 18 to 22. Matthew chapter 4. Verse 18 to 22. Matthew 4, 18. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Thank you. In our text, Jesus calls his first disciples, Peter and Andrew. He uses the imagery of fishing to describe what he wants to do in their lives. To make them into effective fishers of people. But before they can fish for others, mark it, before they can fish for others, they must first become followers of Jesus followers of Jesus and be made into something useful in his hands. The word disciple means learner. A disciple according to the Bible is someone who learns from and follows another person's teaching and way of life. They submit themselves to the teachings and training of a leader and voluntarily yield themselves to the authority of the master, no matter the cost. I think I said yesterday that I went for a program in KB where we did a little part of this. And um, because of the environment they were translating, now, sir, I don't hear our <laughs> sir. But I noted that in the course of my preaching, the interpreter was interpreting discipleship as almagiri. Almagiri. I noticed that. So I picked from there that discipleship is almagiri. And you know, the little we know about almagiris, they are under somebody teacher. And you know that the problem we had, this security problem in Nigeria, 
most of them can be traced to these almajiris. And that's why even some northern governors started pushing them out of their communities sometimes last year. So, these people, we are ready to learn from their master. Following his teachings and his way of life. And they yield themselves to the authority of the master no matter the cost. No matter the cost. You know, Christianity of today, which they call, um, many have called it so many names, um, like utility Christianity, pleasure Christianity. Uh, where we think that I believe in Jesus, I must not suffer. And you hear people praying and say, God, why should this happen to me? I pay my tithe regularly. See Christians praying like that. Why should I lose my money? While I pay my tithe regularly. Say such prayer with authority. And some of those people said, it's not for me. It's not for me. I know whom I, 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 know whom I believe. Exercising faith is good. But a thorough believer follows the Lord no matter the cost. That's the point I'm making. When you face challenges, that will not... You know, we've got so many things. Somebody said, said boldly, Jesus, if you don't give me husband this year, I will drop my Bible. The person was telling me, not, it wasn't, it wasn't. I said, I said, God, I've been a faithful sister, I've not been messing myself up, and yet I'm not married. If you don't give me husband this year, I drop my Bible and join the world. That's a clear indication that he doesn't understand what discipleship is all about. Following Jesus. So you follow him and you are ready to be him no matter the cost. Luke chapter 6 verse 40. A pupil is not above his teacher. But everyone after he has been fully trained <laughs> after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. A disciple is one who is fully trained to be like Jesus. Remember, we are saying being like Jesus, not, not being like any man of God. What then is a disciple according to the Bible? Disciples are born again. That's the beginning. Disciples are born again. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 verse 3 unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God. One does not become a disciple because their family background or because of their family background. Spiritual commitment or church membership. And we need to emphasize this today. Primate was in his address to the General Synod in September, September last year. He emphasized this. That there's need to re-evangelize the church. 
And I think he was, he was making reference to the churches in the south. Especially. Many are in the church. You know, you know, some of you will be witness that 20 years ago, we know those that are born again in the church. We know them. Today we are mixed up. We started saying it is remove your ears. They removed it. And joined. We started saying it is calling ourselves brother, sister. They learned it. We said it is what you put on. They learned it. And joined. Yet not born again. They don't trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the condition for their salvation. They still hold on to what I do or what I can do. I don't know. Some of us that are clergy, we never experience this. We have people we give you money in support of church work. I said, you know, you know, we support the church because you know you know, we are committed. We are supporting. So that God will help us. They plan that. And we, we are teaching them. So seed. So seed. They so seed and think is a condition of becoming a child of God. We must make it clear. Have you started trusting in the death? A resurrection of Jesus Christ. As the condition, the only reason why you are accepted. Not because you are good. Not because you are making efforts. None of our efforts will give us salvation. That's the beginning of discipleship. If you don't believe in this, no matter what method we use, you cannot be discipled. That's the beginning point. Now, fortunately, some people have risen up to high levels in church leadership without this experience. Without this experience. Praise God. Next. Disciples grow. Just like a baby. New believers are expected to grow as their lives begin to change from old beliefs, attitudes and actions to new one. Look at this level of growth. Old beliefs, what you believed, what you were thinking. It is this belief, it starts from this belief. That will change and it will affect your attitude. And when we are talking about this old belief, it may not just be those big beliefs of believing that there is only one God or that Jesus Christ died. No. It may even be believing, the believing of especially what we are experiencing today, believing of in witchcraft, where everything becomes witch. Including the cockroach in your house. Which came in because your house is not clean. 
Any rat seen in the house becomes another thing. Old beliefs. It may even be old assumption. You see somebody, because he didn't greet you in the church, you believe that this person actually don't like you. You didn't even inquire whether the person saw you actually. Or he was thinking of another thing. You just believe that. He saw me in the church. He didn't even greet me. You just believe it. It may be that belief. You begin to change from those things. I'm sharing with you my personal experience. Because when I say that when people do things now, I don't, I don't, I'm not offended. It's because God gave me my old belief changed. Take for instance this thing that God used to teach me some thing. I saw it somewhere and it was a big message. Don't blame them until you train them. This helped me because in leadership and I have this fault of, of um, perfectionism. I want things to be perfect. I want things to be done. in it. So when anybody didn't get to that goal, I'm not happy. So, but when I learned this, my belief changed. Before you become angry, make sure you teach them. So, the growth begins from change of belief, change of attitude, and change of action. These are areas you will see changes and growth. So, when we are talking about growth, it may not necessarily be that you are now reading your Bible or that that you, you can you, you have some verses of God that come. These are wonderful. But the growth, these are major areas you will watch out in your life. This growth into maturity is primarily characterized in three ways. Three ways. Obedience to God's word above all else. Obedience to God's word. Are you growing there? Obedience to God's word. Above everything else. Including your desire, your wish, your pursuit, your program, your agenda. John 8.31 John chapter 8 verse 31 can somebody read? John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Praise God. If you obey my words, you are truly my disciples. <laughs> if you don't obey, no, you are not. The second... Increase or increasing love for God and for others. Matthew 22, that's 7 to 40. Matthew 22, that's 7 to 40. Can we read that? 2, that's 7. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Thank you very much. Another area you will see maturity and growth in your life is you have increasing love for God and for others. Loving them unconditionally. That's area of maturity. Then number three, bearing fruit of Christ-like character and helping others to come to know him. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 to 23. Remember the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You will begin to bear that fruit. You will see them naturally manifesting, not mechanical appliance. You will see them flowing from within. And John 15 verse 16. Bearing fruit. To do this, growing disciples need nourishment from the word of God. You need nourishment from the word of God. We'll be speaking on that this evening. How to ensure consistent nourishment from the word of God. You also need encouragement and fellowship from other believers. And that's where we need mentoring. 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 And protection from peer pressure and false teaching and deceit of Satan. So two things. Nourishment from the word of God and encouragement from other believers and fellowship. This will keep you from peer pressure, false teaching and deceit of Satan. So, if you don't learn anything from this aspect, learn not to be alone or to walk alone in your Christian journey. Don't walk alone. Make sure somebody is very close to your life. Very close. And when you are close to anybody, the closeness should be utilized for encouragement. Encouragement and loving accountability. Loving accountability. First Peter 2, 2 and 5, 8. Disciples multiply. Disciples also grow in their desire and effectiveness in helping other people. Know and follow Jesus. God uses disciples to come alongside all believers to help them understand the gospel and to believe Jesus. So when you are a disciple, you naturally will evangelize. You will naturally evangelize. I have said that when we are properly discipled, when church like the word we use yesterday, when the when discipleship is in the DNA of the church, discipleship of uh, evangelism will not be a separate program. It will be part of us. There will be no week that will be assigned to evangelism because everybody, every day, will be evangelizing. And there will be no evangelical team. 
Because God uses disciples to come alongside unbelievers to help them understand the gospel and believe, believe Jesus Christ. Through your lifestyle, you will draw them and they will see Jesus in you. And when you preach, it will be clear to them. We are not saying that being a disciple means that everybody that comes your side will repent. Some may not repent easily. But you are meant, we are meant to preach the gospel daily. And God uses growing disciples to help less mature believers grow in their faith and mature through teaching and walking alongside them. From this understanding, a disciple is a born again person who is eager to trust and obey Jesus Christ in their own lives and to help others to do the same. In short, a disciple of Jesus Christ is one who lives by faith in Jesus, who is being changed by Jesus, who is engaging in the mission of Jesus. Threatens. You live by faith in Jesus. You become changed by Jesus and you are engaged in the mission of Jesus Christ. In Romans 8.22, Paul says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God's divine purpose is to make every believer to be like Jesus Christ. This understanding that some people are more gifted it's one of those things that should change all of us are meant to be like Jesus and so we even boldly say you know I don't have such grace ah, ah I don't have grace I, I don't have such grace. Don't have grace what he's saying is that he don't have grace to forgive somebody say thank God for you it's ah, only just because of you for me, I don't have that grace, so thank God for you. Is it not boasting of your weakness? We are all meant to be like Jesus. And to become useful in his hands as fishers of men. Now let's discuss, because of time, discuss this question general. Let me see. How confident are you that you, not generally, but let me put this question to us. How confident are you that you are born, you have been born again as a disciple of Jesus? How confident are you? I want you to answer that question to yourself. How are you sure you are born again? How are you sure? Sometimes I feel reluctant. Calling people for attacker, making attacker. The reason is that when you come to a meeting like this, like yes, they were experienced. Make attacker, everybody will just look aside. Should I stand up now? If I do, would they say, I was this one doing? This question answers how confident are you that you are born again? And what is the basis of your answer? 
Remember what we said. A born again should be. Which of the three areas of discipleship growth are you strongest or weakest? I mean faith in Jesus, change in character, and missional. Which area are you strongest? Or which area are you weakest? Answer these questions yourself. What is helping or hindering you most in this area where you are not doing well? What's hindering you? And how are you actively helping others to trust Him and be changed by Jesus? What next step can you take to begin growing more and more as a disciple of Jesus? What next step can you take to begin growing more and more as disciple of Jesus Christ? Now, how do, how do disciples grow? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus told a story about a house which was built upon a rock. When the flood water came, the house stood firm because it had a strong foundation. Spiritual growth is like building a house on the good news of Jesus Christ. The foundation of our spiritual lives is faith in the depths and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11 Just as a house requires building upon a strong foundation with walls and a roof, spiritual growth requires building in four areas of our lives. What we are saying is that when you are born again, that's the key foundation. But you need to build up. And the building, we are looking at it from four areas. Four areas of our lives. A is understanding. The understanding. John 8.32 B is attitudes. Proverbs 4.23 and C, obedience, Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. And 4, relationships, John 13, 35 and 15, verse 8. We call these four areas, 4H. What did I call them? 4H. And the 4H, here I explain head, which is understanding and values, heart, attitude and character, hands, obedience and skill, and help, relationship and multiplication. 4H. For us to grow, we must grow in these four areas. Where you have the foundation of becoming born again. When you are born again, you need to grow. Every one of us, clergymen, bishop, Leaders in the church, new believers, all of us need to grow in these four areas. And you know now, if you have a child, and that child is only growing uh, on the head, 
The head is only growing. Other ones are not growing. What do you call it? <laughs> oh, the thumb is growing. No other place but only the thumb is growing. That sickness. So in the same way, we must grow in these four areas. Don't neglect any. We said head, heart, hand, help. The head is understanding and values. Understanding and values. Heart is attitude and character. Hand is obedience and skills. And help is relationship and multiplication. As we mature in all four areas, then like a strong house, we can withstand the trials of life and provide shelter for others. But if we neglect any of these critical areas, then our lives will be like the house built upon the sand, unbalanced and spiritually weak. And when the winds of life blow, our spiritual house will fall. And you know many that have fallen today. Jesus understood this and was careful to develop his disciples in all four areas of spiritual growth. For example, in Mark chapter 1 verse 21, we see Jesus teaching in the synagogue as his disciples are with him, learning from him. Like this teaching now is meant to help us in our understanding. I am assuming by this teaching, you are having a good understanding of discipleship. Am I right? So people need to be taught. Don't assume they know. Tell them what they should know. Jesus did that. Let people be knowledgeable. And I think we are doing well in that. The Anglican Church, we have wonderful, wonderful leaders, clergymen, well-read, vast in doctrine. And we have good, good doctrine. So we are doing well in that. Even though there is need for improvement. There is need for improvement. Some time ago, I decided to invite some key leaders of our diocese. And we are doing some Bible study. One day, we are using the Great Commission equipping the saints. So one day, one of them said, ah, if not for this todo, I wouldn't have known that Jerusalem is still in the world today. So they need to be taught. They need to be taught. That is the head. Head. Teach them. Jesus was teaching. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13 to 14, Jesus calls his disciples to be with him so that his attitudes become theirs. He can transfer his attitude. Being with relationship. Attitude can only change through relationship. Mothers, you do this so much in the social life. But we, we believe that it also, the same thing will not apply spiritually. Your little daughter, as little as she is, 
You will force her to stay with you in the kitchen. And she is watching before you know it. The little girl will start helping you in some areas in your, in your cooking. Because she's with you. Another one that wouldn't cook well. You say, will I blame you? When I'm there in the kitchen, do you come? You don't come. You don't join me. The boys, why don't they cook? Because they're always on television. If they are close to you, they will cook like you. Try it. Bring your boy, small boy. When you are cooking, say, come, come. Lovingly bring him close to you. Don't tell him to do anything. Let him watch. For one month, see what will happen. The same thing applies spiritually. Some of us have even noticed it. Spiritual, you pray your little, your little boy. You, you know, this my 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 kids, Emmanuel and Elijah. <laughs> Tell him to pray for you now. Don't say, Ima, pray for me. Ima will raise his hand and place it on your head. He won't talk. He won't talk. He will raise his hand and play. How did he learn that? He saw somebody doing it. And if I just realize that a man have learned to pray, she will cut off. So with this, I will be bringing him closer and closer. And I don't need to talk. I will transfer my character to him. Okay. What of language? You know, we call some language mother tongue. How is it mother tongue? Why do I speak the way I speak? Why do I speak differently from you? It's just coming from the man or the woman that I stayed closely with when I was forming my language. The same thing applies spiritually. So to grow in attitude and character, we must be with them. Jesus was with them. We saw that in Mark 3, 13 to 14. We call that heart. That's the heart, attitude and character. Then in Mark chapter 6, verse 7 to 13, Jesus challenges his disciples to practice what they had been learning by asking them, to feed the 5,000. Feed 5,000. So, this is hand. Skill. Practice. You do that by giving assignment. Giving assignment. Do let them see you. Let them watch you do it. Then ask them to do themselves. They then develop. That's why if somebody is leading a church... And he do everything alone. Those people in the church will not grow. Let them do. Let them even make mistake. We learn from mistake. The mistake is part of the learning. And then finally, Luke chapter 10 verse 12. Verse 1 to 12. Jesus sent his disciples out to share with others about the kingdom. That's on relationship and, and uh, sharing. 
These four areas, if you are not growing in them, sometimes I was thinking that it's not everybody that should be evangelizing. It's not everybody that should be preaching. And you know, that time we, we started calling some people evangelists. Evangelist. Some will even say, call me evangelist. Hey, I'm an evangelist. I have the gift of evangelism because I preach in the bus every time. Anytime I enter bus, the Holy Spirit will ask me to preach. This is wonderful. This is excellent. But understand that we all need to grow and evangelize. We need to do all these things. The difference that the way I evangelize may not be the way you evangelize. But the issue I want to point out is that this evangelism is on relationship. Relationship with people. How is your relationship with people? How is your relationship with your wife? Your husband? Your children? How are you relating? How are you relating with your, your fellow, fellow members of the family? Praise God. Now, which of these four areas of spiritual growth do you think is most important? Which of one of them? The head, the heart, the hand, or the relationship, the help? Which one do you think is most important? Eh? The what? The heart. Which one? Are you saying heart? Which one do you say heart? Yes? No, we know that they're all important. But the most important one. Eh? You say head? Okay, let's read uh, Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Hmm. What determines the course of your life? The heart is most important. The heart is most important. What you learned, what comes into the head, must pass through the heart before it affects the hand. Take it again. Whatever comes into the head, must pass through the heart before it can move the hand. Hand is action. Hand is obedience. Hand is skill, what you do. But you cannot obey what you know until the heart is changed. Heart transformation is the issue. Heart. Obiojo. Oyewero obiojo gane lega anya. Ineche na onri yiku. Onaote na koma. He'll be watching. He'll be listening. He'll be answering correctly. But to take action, because when that thing he has believed goes through the heart, it will be spoiled here. And the hand can't move. And so we even tell you, I wanted to do this thing, but I, I didn't know what even stopped me from doing it. Heart. The heart. Guard your heart above all things else. For there is the issue of life. 
Proverbs 4.23 Understanding the truths of God, that's the head, and obeying those truths hands, relies on our hearts, being willing to know and follow Him. For example, a cow may become choked on a mango seed, preventing food from being swallowed and reaching her body where it is needed. When something blocks the pathway from the head to the body, illness and even death issues. Similarly, if our hearts are hardened by sinful attitudes, sinful attitudes, it prevents our understanding about God from impacting our obedience to God. No, to, to tell you how serious this issue of heart is. You remember when Jesus was teaching against fornication? You remember what he said? That if any man lost after a woman in his heart, he has committed the sin. That tells you the seriousness of what happens in the heart. The heart. We have a lot of things on this head. That's why many can preach. Many can teach. But if the heart is not changed, disobedience everywhere, rebellion everywhere, see lies of people, you wonder, is this actually this brother that I know? The problem is the heart. So that's why discipleship centers on heart and emphasizes relationship that will affect the heart. Our hearts must be open to God in order for His truth to flow from our beliefs into our lives in obedience and healthy relationship. Where we desire to help others grow as disciples, we must take personal responsibility to help them develop in these four areas of spiritual growth as well. We do this through teaching. Teaching for the head. We must teach and train disciples in the scriptures, including the big story of the Bible. Big story of the Bible. I am talking about discipleship that is not formal. The formal one is the follow-up that we do in the church. But I'm talking about informal discipleship that is similar to raising children in the house. Those things we do in the house that, that have been instrumental in raising people, all of them were informal. Informal! How did you teach your, your daughter how to sit or how to sleep? Informal! There was no lesson note. Or do you have any? Do you have any? Even in the cooking, no, there was no note. Informal. So teach them the big story of the Bible. That is the salvation story. Not necessarily cramming the Bible. 
So that even those who can read the Bible can still understand the Bible. Key biblical doctrines should be taught how to study the Bible for themselves and apply it in their lives. These are the, the, the contents that should form our teaching for discipleship. Hearts, that's mentoring. We must spend time in relationship with disciples, getting to know them personally. Not this. You get to know them. Not, not they are knowing Jesus. You get to know them. Know them personally. And then, sharing our hearts with them. We share our hearts with them. Our goal in mentoring is to help them open their hearts to the Lord. Not even to ourselves. To the Lord. It was in this that I learned that this issue of asking people you must or you tell me, tell me all you have done. Say it now. <laughs> it's not necessary. You don't force people. You will discuss and discuss and they will open up themselves. The one they want to share with you. But teach them is not necessarily important that you know. It is the Lord. You are teaching them to be open to God. So that they can kneel before God and be open. My mentor was sharing with me that the daughter failed one of her exams and was angry because she said she read. She prepared for the exam. And that others that she, she saw as unbelievers passed the exam when she was faithful to the Lord. And she was bitter, angry. So the father was telling me that he was discussing with the daughter. And the daughter was angry, said, I'm angry with God. I'm angry with God. And the man said to the daughter, But have you prayed? I said, No, I'm angry. So just kneel down, tell God, tell him you're angry. Actually, it was the first time I learned that I can kneel down and tell God, I'm angry with you. Say, Tell God. After all, he knows you are angry with him. <laughs> so whether you tell him or not, he knows. But encourage the daughter. Just kneel down. Tell God you are angry. Just pour your heart. That's the example of helping them to open up to God. If somebody can kneel down and say, God, I am angry with you, that person can hide enough of his feelings. And when we don't have our when we don't hide our feelings, it means we are open to him. And we are we are presenting ourselves for his healing. So, the essence of mentoring is to know people and share your own life so that they will be open or they will open their hearts to God. So that it will be easy for them to repent from their sinful attitudes and to love and obey Jesus more fully. So, that's, that's where God begins to work. Where somebody can go to God and say, Lord, just like our mommy said when she was answering. You know, it's not easy for someone to stand up and say, tell us, it's not in our culture these days. Somebody would stand up and say, this is, we are not getting it. I'm not, I'm not doing it well here. It's not open. 
And when she kneel down to pray, she can rightly pray. Say, God, look at this and ask God for help. And believe me, tomorrow she, you will see another person. Because she was open to God and asked for help. This is how transformation happens in life. And we should know that transformation is a process. It doesn't happen instantly. It comes gradually. Then you equip the hands. Equipping. We must help disciples apply God's word into their lives daily. This occurs as we discuss life issues and help them to discern and do God's will. Help them to discern and do God's will. Not instruct them to do. You help them to discern so that whichever decision they are taking, it is his decision, not our brother told me, reverend told me, our papa told me. It also occurs through training in life skills and spiritual disciplines that help them to live as disciples in a world full of challenges. Like what we are doing now is a kind of skill training, even though it's not full, but it's somehow giving us instances. Give them the skill. This is what you do. This, this is what should be the result. Then, connected, help. We must help disciples to grow in relational skills and to live in unity and fellowship with others. We need to build that. There's a lot of division in our churches. Ethnic tensions. This person is from this. It has entered the church and is dealing with the church. That must change. We also must train disciples in how to effectively share their faith with unbelievers and to help them become mature disciples as well. Every relationship or ministry which would endeavor to make mature disciples must include these four aspects of life impact in order to help people truly grow. For example, a disciple-making youth ministry must include some aspects of effective teaching, relational mentoring, equipping for real-life application, and encouragement in healthy relationships and outreach. More mature disciples seek to grow in all four areas of their lives, head, heart, hand, and health, as they become more like Jesus. So that's why I said, you don't end discipleship. Even at your age, no matter or experience, you also endeavor to grow in what you know, in change of life and attitude, and in what you do. For instance, many of us, 30, 40 years ago, don't use, don't use computer. Don't use internet. It's an aspect of skill. When it came out, you were forced to learn it, because it will help you in your profession. So in the same way, there are things that the Holy Spirit may bring up that will help you in obedience to the Lord. And you will learn that. It is foundational. And it will help us to make our lives strong 
and withstand storms of life. Now, lastly, these questions. Which of the four areas of discipleship growth, head, hearts, hands and help, is strongest in your life? And which one is weakest? Um, we Because I would want to take questions from you. Just note these questions. You answer it to yourself sincerely before God. Which of the four areas of discipleship growth, head, heart, hands and help is strongest in your life? And why? Try to find out. Find out. Think about it. What can you do to strengthen any of the weaker areas of discipleship growth in your life? Which of the four areas of discipleship growth is strongest or weakest in your church discipleship ministry? Let's just forget the church now. Just take one and two. That one that is personal. Which one is strongest? Which one is weakest? When I looked at this the first time, I came across this. I discovered my weakest area is heart. My weakest area is heart, or was heart. This area I've been helping God, asking God to help me grow. Grow the heart. That was what I discovered in answering this question for myself. So find out yourself and um, think of what you can do to strengthen it. One thing that God helped me to do to strengthen my own is he connected me to a mentor. A mentor that God had used so greatly in helping me to understand this thing clearly and to know how to apply them. So, think about your own and know what you will do. God bless you. We take questions before we pray. Do you have questions? Please, if you have questions from this teaching, raise up your hand so that we take the number. Yes, raise up your hands if you have questions. Mommy, one and two. Another person. Yes, three. Questions in all this, all that we've done today. Only three. Okay. Okay. Oh, yes. Sorry. I didn't see you. Four. Start from mommy. Number one. Hello. My question is this. You, they said, love your neighbor as yourself. I have a neighbor that is always giving me headache. I've made all efforts to make her my friend. The other day I was at, at the gate waiting for her to come out because she can't enter her house. When she came out, I spoke to her. I begged her, what can, can we do to become neighbors and friends? She said, go your own way. <laughs> I left. 
The other day, she opened her tap. She's not in Enugu and left. The tap was running for almost one week. I started calling people, please, to tell her that her tap is running for the past one week. Then she now sent somebody to come and off the tap. And when she came back again, I went to her. She, you can't even cross her gate. That is one thing. Please advise me on what to do next. It's a, it's a real life challenge. Yes? Number two. Praise the Lord. I have a few questions to ask. One. How do you engage in relational discipleship, especially as a priest or as a minister, with the members of your church or even with those who are fellow priests with you, but they are at lower positions, and still avoid the abuses of privileges that come with it? Secondly, what is the effort of our communion doing to make this teaching as part of the curricula of our theological institutions so, so that those who are passing through theological education can have this as a burden to communicate to those who are in the church? Then, thirdly, um, can you explain to us, sir, for the benefit of those who do not understand what it actually means to believe in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? As someone who wants to become a disciple, is it just about coming to the altar to answer altar call and after that you go back? What does it actually mean to believe in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I thank you very much, sir, for, for the teaching so far. I've learned quite a lot. But my question is still bothered around... Uh, the relational aspect of discipleship. I have a number of mentors, like those who teach me the word of God, those who I listen to frequently, uh, but I don't have that personal relationship with them. And it seems like God has been bringing it up over and over again through various means that there is need for one-on-one -on -one contact discipleship. And you came again and you were making emphasis on accountability. And what I've been asking all this while is, okay, how do I now get that man? Am I supposed to walk up to somebody and say, please, can you mentor me? Am I supposed to just wake up in the morning and start relating my weaknesses with someone I've never really talked with? Like, how do I go about the process of becoming accountable to one person. That's my question. Thank you very much. 
Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This, my question is this. Um, it's about discipleship. So what we do in our churches, especially in my church, is when people give their life to Christ, eh, they ask, some people are asked to follow them up. And uh, as we follow them up, some of them they not even understand what I'm talking about. And you, you send for them, they won't come. You, you, you call them, they won't answer your call. And yet, they tell they have believed. So how do we, this area of, you know, giving one's life and then making sure that these ones are followed up. When people are not responding, so what do we do? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay. Yes. Please, sir. We have two more questions from the written on paper. Then your own from the internet participants. Okay. Let's finish the ones we've yes. listened to. Okay. Sir. Now come to that. Okay, sir. Uh, the. Thank you, sir, for your teaching. Okay, I think we've taken four. We know. Wait. We call you up. You will still ask your question. Let's answer this for so that we don't forget. The mommy's question, I, I want my chaplain to answer you because I think he had a better experience on this than me. Praise the Lord. Actually, that experience is like it's better experience than just uh, say it because people may not actually understand. I don't know why my bishop asked me to answer it. <laughs> because uh, I am looking up to him <laughs> in many things. And thank God for for the privilege, privilege God has given me to work with him. But what I will answer is just I will share life experience with my own, let me use my family and then little thing with other people. I grew in a family that uh, somehow a polygamous family. And uh, I don't know. My mother seems to be last. And actually, my mother, the children of my father, is like most of them seniored my mother. And uh, the first son of my, the first child of my mother, is like the last, the last of others seniored uh, her. And I'm the only son of my mother. And I grew from that family. And sometimes we face a lot of things. And even for you to relate with them, actually, they are the children of my brothers. One of them headmaster, and then I am almost the same age with them. And I share with their father. You could imagine what it is. And we know this family land matter. Sometimes they look down on you as the last born 
and I have done a lot to make to relate with them and it's not actually happening the, to cut the whole story short my father in the Lord and my mentor he knows it I came up and I decided that I will also be making trouble <laughs> it, 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 the decision I took wasn't long my father in the Lord encountered God and was now teaching me how to approach them actually when we went to program at uh, Portacot I went to him and I told him look at you I wanted to build a kitchen for my mother and the first son said that the whole compound belonged to him and I told him if I go home that was 2017 if I go home I want to just go and take one portion and start building and do things. He advised me not to do so. Just to tell you the extent of how I have built up my heart. This person that refused to relate because he's supposed to take me. So what I did, many things, many things, many things. I went, I bought land outside. We have many lands. I bought outside, uh, land outside, started building. And uh, I learned that you don't Fight violence with violence. For over eight years I've married, the children, they don't relate with me. Some of the children. And uh, last, this year, as I shared with them, one of them, the, the first son of that, our first brother, came with the whole, all of his whole family to my house. My father and the Lord was not... I wanted to bring them to him, but he traveled. And uh, my wife experienced and said, for in her life, this man came in our house. Not that he just came and greeted with all his family. He came and stayed. What happened? I just started doing what... I thought is good, even when they are not welcoming them. I saw my Lord Bishop, my Bishop, I mean to say, how he relates with his family, even when they are not even welcoming. I also started relating. Christmas, these are just family things. They, are, they don't want my relationship. They don't even need me. But I was forcing my relationship on them. In Christmas, I'll buy rice. I'll share to them. Last two Christmas, the second son of that, our first, uh, the first son of my father, he was embittered that I brought yam to his father. And he wanted even, you know, what he didn't say about me is what I don't know. He, wanted, he was ready to fight me. He said, why am I bringing yam? Do I think that they can't buy yam? And all those things. And the father was just keeping watching me. So this last Christmas, I made up my mind. I'm not going to give anything to them. So, but before the Christmas came, I, I don't have more. I have 20 something thousand. I have calculated how many they are. And I now went and brought rice again. And I, I was even owing the rice with my woman. I shared, <laughs> I shared one, one thing to, I gave him one thing with uh, Yaman. And uh, in that thing, I now 
I invited them again in my house. When I shared, I carried my children because we are learning mentoring. I carried my children, three of my children. We went and shared them on Christmas Day. And I invited him, said, you know, you don't know where I'm building. Almost, uh, uh, I would like you to come with your family. And I thought they wouldn't come. I just wanted to say it so that he wouldn't accuse me that I finished my building and I didn't invite him. Like play. He said, okay, I should come and pick him. I came on 26th December. He came. All his children decided to follow him. Plus his brothers and one or one other sister. They came to my house. I told my wife. When I noticed that all of them are coming. My wife was sick. I went out. I called my wife. Please oh, go and kill one of the fowl and make pepper soup. So, my wife said, I'm disturbing her. I said, please, please. So, they came. We cooked food. They finished eating with the meat. I said, no, the thing still remains, you know. I bring pepper soup. They say, ah, that their stomach is filled. That they will carry this one home. So, they carried that one home as an evangelism. And those that didn't come was annoyed that I did not think. These people are people that are, they are so difficult. And let me tell you. I don't know. The little thing I did, the following on twenty third, on the on the third, he said I, I, I should have followed them on twenty seventh to know. So on twenty third, I and on third I went. Instead of him to thank me and was feel remorse that I didn't build in our family compound, he started saying all that thing that will annoy me. <laughs> I just said no problem, but. In my response, I, I, was, I didn't pick offense because I have learned not to be picking offense. If I had started hitting him bad, 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 they, his children, the first son, would have come to my house. And uh, there are people that have offended me many What I did, sometimes I carry my wife. This person is a person I'm not supposed to go to his house. And indeed, if you are measuring level, they are not. But I say, my wife, they are the one offending us. Let us go and know why they are offending me. We went in our discussion. You see the person feeling remorse. Say, ah, you came to my house, you priest, not priest, your level, you came. And that act alone will humble them. So, mommy, what I'm asking, I won't give you. A one-way rule. But what I will answer is that those difficult people that are proving difficulty in relating, in relationship, what you just need to do is keep on showing them the Christian virtue in you. Don't use violence to respond to the violence. Thank Press you very up. much. Can you see he has better experience? You may not understand this thing. He said, he started receiving the oppression from birth. I mean his brothers. From birth till now. And look at how he's approaching it now. It takes time and requires patience. As much.
There's something God wants to teach you from that. That's discipleship. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, our brother, your first question if um, the priests and the higher. Uh, somebody on a higher level discipling others will it not affect the needed respect this one I will share a little experience when God started opening my eyes on this I took a decision you know our confirmation visit to parishes you come you confirm and you go so I decided this thing. Just attempt to deliberately relate. I said, what I'll be doing, I'll take an archdeaconry of a weekend. Then, our archdeaconries are made up of about one, two, three parishes. I'll visit a parish, do the confirmation, and sleep there. Sleep with the priests in the parsonage. So when I said that to the December that this is what we'll be doing now. So some of my friends came to me and said, ah, what do you mean? Sleeping in vicarages? Say yes. It's, they reminded me that some of our vicarages are just two rooms. I said, two rooms will be okay for us. The priest will just move with the wife. We move to one. I will stay in one with uh, those that came with me. That when it was coming closer, some suggested getting a house since they noticed that I, I am insisting on sleeping there. So I refused until, and I started with one of our remotest parishes so that they will know I meant it. So that day after our confirmation, we finished around two took our lunch and then I, I told them that after our lunch we will visit the churches that made up the parish and then we come back in the evening. We did that came back in the evening took our dinner and I said that we have time with the priest and wife just to discuss. So and you know such thing now their mind was running around they don't know what we would discuss So, I said just the priest and his wife, just three of us, because that time my wife had already delivered, so I didn't go with her. So, but when we started the discussion, I told them this discussion is just on personal issues. We are not discussing assessment. We are not discussing the church projects. We are not discussing your ministry as per what you are doing well and what you are not doing well. We are discussing your personal life. And if God permits your marriage. And I started by sharing my own life first. Pointing out my own weaknesses. And telling them how God had been helping me. That opened their hearts. 
and they started pouring their hearts. My brother, that visit, it added my, to my honor instead of reducing it. The person is just two rooms, two bedrooms and sitting room. We slept there. I wanted to sleep in one room with the chaplain and driver. They refused. I was asking them, come in. They said they are coming in. They are coming until daybreak. They slept in the sitting room. But I was prepared to sleep in the same place. I don't know whether I will share this. <laughs> I will share this one. But we made effort to bring ourselves low. That was this, what Jesus did. The people understood me more. The priests, they said, it's, now, it's not what I've been hearing about you that I now see. They opened up to deep issues of their lives that they didn't share with anybody. Let me give you one of the one of the examples that one shared. One said, the wife shared, said, she had been wondering whether this man is still thinking about the other girl she, he told me he would have married. Before the husband. I've been wondering why this man is related to, with me in this way. And what was the problem? The man scheduled praying and fasting with the wife. The wife was pregnant that time. They started praying in the video. The wife dozed off. The man was angry. We are praying and we are sleeping. He left him. Left her. I said we won't pray together again. You see the two issues. And this made the woman to start thinking. Is this man actually happy marrying me? They would not have shared this in any way. And after we discussed this. They were so happy. And they became closer to me. It added to my honor instead of reducing it. So it won't take anything from you. Again, I've told you that I started this, the real discipleship with my archdeacons. We divided ourselves. We have 35 archdeacons. We divided into five, five of us, the four other archdeacons that have earlier trade and myself into five. My own group, we scheduled a visit just to build the relationship. And I asked them to come to my house first. Just like what we do in prayer meeting, the men's prayer meeting. I said, let them come to my house first. They came. We fellowship, we discussed the word of God, we prayed. And we served them much. And in the lunch, we ate together. One of them that was my classmate's said I've not experienced this before because since you became bishop we thought you are now unapproachable but what has happened here ah he said I've changed my mind so brother it will not take anything away from you it will add because they want to see the life of Jesus modeled the only point where you will, disgrace, you, you, will, you will reduce yourself is when you mess up before them. But when you 
model the life of Jesus. Huh? You have more honor. You know why we separate ourselves? Because of our rottenness. We just move away to hide. To hide. Feeling that when I come, they know that I'm a drunkard. It's better to keep away from them. When I come closer, they know that I have lost. You keep close and battle with your lost. But when you are modeling Jesus, you can stay with anybody and your honor will be rising. Do you get that? On, on taking these to theological schools, uh, we've earlier said that discipleship is not curriculum, it's not a course. If you take these lessons to theological schools for them to then copy notes and pass exam, it will not transform anybody. We are talking about what will transform lives. So in the real sense of discipleship, it will move to every part of the church of Nigeria. I've told you that Primate has started, he has initiated a program that will drive this particular thing I'm saying. And to be specific, on Monday, I think I said it yesterday, on Monday, on Monday, six bishops will be, will be meeting, seven of us, six bishops and an arch, uh, archbishop, will be meeting together for this movement. We are subjecting ourselves to the disciples and so that we can move the movement of discipleship in Church of Nigeria. And it will affect every parish, it will affect every institution. Because the target is that these bishops will now disciple other bishops in the 14 provinces. And these bishops will disciple their priests. The priests will bring the discipleship into the church and then the church will take it up from there. And everybody will be affected. It will not be very fast because we have been taught to start small but dream big. Starting small is effectiveness. So it's not just bringing crowd, teach them and say go. It is life on life. So you just pick four, three at a time. Work with them two, three years and they start them their own. It will multiply. So this way right, we are going. That's the effort the Church of Nigeria is making. Then, uh, I, I think you asked, asked three questions. What's the third one? Okay. Believe. Believe. Uh -huh. So, if you listen to when I was speaking, I said, as the condition for our salvation, it is simple. And it is better you make it simple than bringing in all this Trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the condition for our salvation or God counting us righteous. You, make, you teach it in a way that ordinary person will understand it. So it, it is, it's not under, you know, it, it, that, that's how the Bible puts it. So people will understand it in that simple way. That it is not their self-righteousness, what they do. I think I said it here. Just teach it in that simple way. People will understand. So that they don't trust on the activities. But trust on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary.
Is it not the way you put it? Thank you very much. Then, getting a mentor. My sister is actually an issue. You are right in what you said. You, you, you will not just get up and meet somebody and say, you are my mentor. I have even experienced where people have come to me after a program like this and said, Daddy, please, I want you to be my mentor. In those days, I will say, yes, I will be. And I remember one person that I promised to be his mentor. That was the last day I spoke with him for over three years now. So many of us think that mentorship is just admiring somebody from far. It's not. And it will not even be proper. Just meeting somebody that you've not known before and started pouring your heart to. You are completely right. The challenge we are facing is that there are not much people that actually have been discipled in the church. Because what is supposed to be, it is not the mentee that looks for a mentor. It is mentors that get mentees. That's when I was talking about baptism, sponsorship. I was saying that the priest is supposed to be saying, Sister, Mommy, please, we'll be baptizing two people. I want you to be one of the sponsors of one. He gives you data. And from that day, you take up your work. The same way, like we are meeting here now in the church, in this church. Let's use this church as example. The mature leaders in the church supposed to have the younger ones as their main mentees. So it is not you that should look for mentor. Mentors should get you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, but I, I would just say the problem is that it is better you don't have a mentor than you get a mentor that is a mentor. You know better later, huh? <laughs> It's better. So we are, we are praying that when God start this work properly, we will all be fixed. But continue with what we are doing, receiving advice from mature believers, like going for counseling, but actually that is not, that is, that are parts of mentorship. That is not the whole mentorship. Let's continue to do that until God will send to you a mature believer who will actually, I like using that word, adopt you as a daughter. Because that is mentorship. Then, how do disciples, how do we disciple young converts who are not willing to come? Uh, I, I said... The willingness we are talking about is an error. We need to go and fish for them. Fishermen don't wait for the fish to come. What do they do? They first of all, they go into the sea. And you remember Jesus Christ meeting Peter. When Peter didn't catch any fish, he said, launch into the deep. There was a shift of the method he applied overnight. And I learned that fishermen use something in their as a bait. As a bait. So it's you that should go for them. Not wait for them. This method of sitting and waiting. Look at our, our team. Go! The command is go. It's not wait. Let them come so that you make them disciples. We go. When you make other 
call. Write their names. Visit them. Get them. Use baits. Spiritual and godly baits. And get them. Praise God. Somebody asked, who have been following us online, said, how can older Christians engage the younger people in discipleship practically? Just what I've said. If you are a mature believer who have been discipled, you look for younger ones, you will disciple. Get two or three. Intentionally start it. Start working with them. That's how to start. Pick one, two, three. As much as you can mentor. Study, guide them, mother Jesus Christ. Encourage them. Love them. And discipleship will be going from that angle. Praise God. Are we closing here? We are closing. Alright, because of time. Thank you very much. Please, you can send... Write down your question. Let's see how we can answer it in the course of our discussion in the evening. In the course of discussion. Let's close so that we are able to come back in the evening. Let us pray. Can you talk to God? I believe he has been speaking to us since 10.30. Talk to God. For me, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want people to see Jesus in me. I want to become a true disciple who will be committed in making others disciples. Lord Jesus, help me. Help my life. Lead me onto actions that will pull me out of my weaknesses. Father, we thank you so much for your love. The way you've ministered to us, we are going with so many challenges. You've challenged us. Lord, we pray. We pray, Lord. Help us. Help us. That what we've learned in this meeting we go down to our hearts. Change our attitudes and characters. And make us your true disciples. Help us to wake up to our calling. Of becoming fishers of men. Whereby those unbelievers around us. The younger believers around us will be led to follow you through our lives. 
Thank you for this wonderful opportunity. And thank you for enabling us to participate. Receive all glory, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Draw me nearer, nearer to thee, Lord. Draw me nearer, nearer to thee. Draw me closer, closer to thee, Lord. Draw me closer, closer to thee. My song, my songs, every day. Father, draw me nearer. Oh yes, draw me nearer, nearer to Thee. My song. My